This morning we looked at the special call that was given to the 12 disciples in Mark chapter 6. Jesus sent them out two by two in pairs. And as he sent them out, he gave them power. He gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to proclaim his message of repentance. Repent, they preached as they went. And this was a foretaste of what the message of Christ would be, the commissioning of Christ, not only to those 12, but to all who would come after them. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, the idea is all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. And literally disciplize or teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says that after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, all power, all power, you would have power to be my witnesses. And remember what he said, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, not just in Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost parts of the earth. Our calling as Christians is a unified calling from Jesus Christ himself to take his gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, as we go through the gospel record in Acts, you might notice that there were missionary ventures before we get here to Acts chapter 13. We think of Philip. Philip seeing the Ethiopian eunuch and running to him. We think of Philip before that going down to Samaria. We think of Peter going to Cornelius and the door of repentance being thrown wide open to the Gentiles. This is not to say there were not missionaries before this time. There certainly were. But Acts 13 throws open the doors to a new age, if you will, of the church. And this is taking place, not coincidentally, in a church called Antioch. We looked at this church two Sunday evenings ago. And what I'd like to do this evening is look at this church at Antioch. A church who it is said when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, that is Barnabas and Paul, they sent them away. They sent them away. What would cause a thriving church in Antioch, seeing souls saved and come in, needing leaders like Paul and Barnabas to teach and to disciple those new converts? What would cause them to take their two best guys and send them away? Here's what would cause them to do that. The Holy Spirit. He's the one. And ultimately, the church at Antioch, who we looked at two Sunday evenings ago as this diverse church who had come across cultural barriers to stand on the fundamental truths of the gospel of Christ and to see in gathering of souls, ultimately was not just this wonderful, diverse church of people who were committed to the cause of Christ. They were a missionary church. That'll be the title of our message tonight, Antioch, 
a missionary church. Antioch, a missionary church. And tonight what I'd like to do is not only to understand how Antioch is a missionary church, not only how Straightgate should have a heart to be a missionary church, a sending church, but also how this might be a relevant passage now in the life of our church. Now, let's start, first of all, by understanding something about this church's mission. This church's mission. Look at me, look with me at chapter 13, if you have your Bibles in Acts. Acts 13 and verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger. We've called this Simeon the Black, likely a black man, perhaps from North Africa. And Lucius of Cyrene, who also was a North African man, Cyrene being in that country. And Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, so a very likely wealthy, cultured, privileged man. And Saul, this man with a history as a Pharisee. Now we talked two weeks ago about the very diverse leadership this church had. And that was befitting a very diverse place, a very diverse church with cultures from all around the world that were in this thriving metropolis. As we said, Antioch being the third most significant city in the entire Roman Empire. Very, very prominent place with a very large and diverse population. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 11 just to learn a couple more things by way of reminder primarily about this church's mission. Remember what had happened. How did this church form? It was because there were some men in chapter 11 and verse 20 that had gone and branched out. They decided they weren't just going to preach the gospel to the Jews. They were going to begin preaching the gospel openly to the Gentiles. In verse 20 says, they spake unto the Grecians, the Greek speakers, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So here we are in Antioch, a great number of people believing and turning to the Lord. Verse 22 reminds us the, the, the tidings of this thriving new work in Antioch come to the ears of the church, and who do they send? Who is their man for the job? A Jew, but one that had been raised in, uh, that we know that had been raised in a non-Jewish area, such that he would be a very good fit to go to this very diverse primarily Gentile church. That was Barnabas. He goes to Antioch. Verse 23 tells us when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people is added unto the Lord. So we have a picture here of this burgeoning, growing church community in this thriving metropolis called Antioch, a, a much more significant and important city in world history, uh, or I should say at least at that time, than Jerusalem. Now, notice what happens then in verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now, Barnabas, can you just put yourself in his mind? Barnabas is thinking, what does our church need here in Antioch? And the, one, the person that comes to mind is Paul. Paul. Now, where was Paul before this point? There's actually a, a history of Paul's life that we know nothing about. About a decade of Paul's life as a Christian that is entirely silent to us. It's likely that Paul got saved not long 
after the early church was founded, not long after the ascension of Christ, and he is just silent, largely from the church record. We know very little about him. And now, nearly 15 years later, probably more than a decade later after his conversion, we see Barnabas going to Tarsus to look for Paul. Undoubtedly, he had already been playing a role. We know he had already been preaching. We know he had already been a kind of testifier to the gospel of Christ. Barnabas goes looking for him, and notice verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. So now Antioch gets this very unexpected boon, this very unexpected blessing. What? Paul, who at that point was Saul. And notice, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. These people who were Christ ones, focused solely around Christ, not divided by ethnicity, not divided by socioeconomic status, not divided by whether they, whether they were free or whether they were slave. All of them were united around one thing, the cause of Jesus Christ, and thus they were called Christ ones. And as we've said last week, this ultimately is where we are in the city of Minneapolis, a diverse city that is all around us. And our job is not to try to pick off certain ethnicities, certain socioeconomic statuses, certain cultures. Well, we'll take these ones in. The miracle of the gospel that could happen at Straight Gate and is happening is that those who are very different can come in and truly be united solely as Christians among those who are Christ's ones and committed solely to him above all else. Now, notice something here about the ministry of Saul. He now comes into the church, and undoubtedly he would have had a very prominent place. And people are getting saved and coming into a church. And what better person would there be than Saul? Turn back over to chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now what are they doing? The leadership at this church has committed themselves to seeking God specially about something. Now we don't know exactly what it was but why do we think they were seeking God specially about something? Because they were fasting. Now, if you look back to the history of the Old Testament of, about what fasting is, in the Old Testament, fasting wasn't nearly so much a discipline that we just do because we're spiritual. Why did people fast in the Old Testament? Because they were desperate about something. Because they needed God's direction on something. Because they need God's deliverance from something. Now, I will just say this. The Pharisees took that and made it a habit. They made it a, just a good thing to do. And they did it twice a week, and they told themselves how spiritual they were because of it. You remember the, the man in the temple in the, Jesus' parable? One man goes in and says, I, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And Jesus is saying, no, that person didn't go home justified. The person who was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that's the one that God was looking for. 
it's, fasting is a wonderful thing, but it is connected biblically to when we are seriously seeking God about something such that we are willing to put aside food to seek him in prayer, fasting in prayer for deep need. And so it seems that these men, these church leaders, were seeking God about something. And in this word ministry, they ministered. The idea is of, of service of God and a kind of worship. They are committed to God. They are seeking him about something. What? Well, I know as a church leader, they probably were seeking him for the direction of their church. God, what do you want us to do here in Antioch? God, you're seeing all these people come in. You're seeing the need to train them and disciple them in the faith. God, what do you want us to do? And this is where we need to move from the church's mission to disciple people in the city of Antioch to the Spirit's call. Listen what happened when they were ministering and fasting. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Separate me. Now the word separate there simply means set apart. Take Barnabas and Saul, two of the leaders of your church, the two most undoubtedly gifted ones, most likely, the ones who were at a huge part in seeing people come into the church in the first place and get saved and discipled, you set them apart because I've got a job for them. Now let me ask you this, friends. Do you think that's what the church was expecting? Put yourself in their shoes. God, we're seeking you, we're fasting, we want to know what you have for this church at Antioch. Look at all these people coming in who need to be discipled. And God's answer is, yeah, about that, let me take your two most, most important leaders and I've got a job for them. Now, listen to what the Holy Spirit was saying. How did the Holy Spirit say this? We have no idea. It almost certainly wasn't an audible voice. It may have been through one of the prophets that were there, one of the leaders that said, we have a message from the Holy Spirit. It may have just been an internal prompting, an internal that was shared by many of them. And they said, oh, we know what God is telling us. We know what the Holy Spirit is saying. But listen, he said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, there's a couple of things we need to understand here. First of all, that this calling was preceded by a divine choice. This was not something that the Holy Spirit came up with on the fly. Like somehow when our plans get scrambled and we say, okay, I was going this way, but now I'm changing my mind. We're, we're calling it audible and we're going this way. I should say for those of you who are non-football fans, calling an audible means changing your plans, okay? I, I've, I've learned from people in my life, they don't always get what calling an audible means. So I'm just, I'm just pointing that out there. It just means to change your plans. Now, what, were, what was this choice rooted in? Turn back for a moment to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. This is after Paul has come to salvation in Christ. And, God, uh, and, and Jesus appears to Ananias and tells him, go and you've got a ministry to Saul. You've got to re restore his vision. And listen to when, when Ananias hears 
what Jesus wants him to do. He says, Lord, I've heard by many of this man, of this man how much evil he hath done to my saints, to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on the name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. I have chosen him to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. To bear my name before whom? Gentiles. Now, this is one of the things, I, as I reflect on some of the challenging passages in Paul's epistles about God's um, sovereign choice, about his predestination, about his election. If you were Paul, and you reflected on how you got saved, could you have attributed it to anything other than God? I mean... He looked at this, he had heard this, he knew, I have been a chosen vessel for a particular task that God wants me to do. And now, fast forward perhaps 15 years, and God is saying, by his Holy Spirit, through the leaders at Antioch, I have called this chosen vessel for mine. Friend, that choice went far behind when the calling was made. The calling was made, and now, I'm sorry, the choice was made, and now the calling was done. But notice also, the Holy Spirit's calling was to set apart these men for a particular work that he had called them to, something special that he had identified them beyond the walls of Antioch. And the thing that we need to realize about this work is that it would change the world. The people at Antioch couldn't have known this. Where were they going? They were going on their missionary journeys, the missionary journeys of Paul that spread the gospel into Asia Minor and ultimately into Europe. Friends, it, it, it is no um, overstatement to say that we are sitting here today in this church in large part because the church at Antioch heard a call that Paul and Barnabas would go. Think of how many of the epistles of our New Testament were written to churches that Paul reached when? After Antioch, on his missionary journeys. Think of the entire change in the course of world history that Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas worked because they were separated from a very important work of God being done in Antioch and were separated, were set apart to go beyond Antioch and to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Ultimately, we are receiving and being blessed by the fruits of that decision that changed the course of world history. The Holy Ghost says, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So we need to see the church's mission. It was, an, it was an important mission at Antioch to disciple and to build this church. There was a spirit's, the Spirit's call, which is to say, set apart your two best guys because I've got another work for them. And finally, we need to see the church's response. The church's response. Will you notice with me in verse 3? And when they had fasted and prayed... It's interesting. They fasted and prayed again after getting the call. 
that tells me something about probably what their initial reaction was. I wonder how many of them needed to say, God, really? Really? God, are you sure about this one? Are you sure you can't take those two guys? Does it, does it really need to be Barnabas and Saul? God, there are other people that can go, can't they? Well, what we see here is that they had fasted and prayed, and they laid their hands on them, and listen to what verse 3 says. They sent them away. Now, this is a perfectly good translation, but we need to understand something about the underlying Greek. The word that is used in the underlying Greek here is not the same word that is used in verse, in verse 4 when they say, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It's not the same word. Here's the word. The word literally means to release. They were released by the church. In fact, this is the same word that is used over and over again in our New Testament to refer to people being let out of jail. They were released. It's the same word that is used in our New Testament to, to, to refer to a man putting away or divorcing his wife. Released. Doesn't that give you a wonderful picture of what these, this church was doing? These, this church who undoubtedly so much wanted to hang on to these two special men who for one year had been so enriching and discipling them under the ministry of the Holy Spirit and with fasting and prayer, they opened their hands and they released them. They released them to the work that God was calling them to do. And notice the cooperation here. The Holy Spirit said, set apart these men. The church released them with fasting and prayer. And then verse four says, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Sent forth by the church in part, but really sent forth by the Holy Spirit from a willing church that was releasing them because it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to do as we apply this message to ourselves and what God might be calling us to at Straightgate is to recognize the fundamental conflict that we can easily run into. And it's a conflict that is especially sharp for churches that are missional churches like we are. From the earliest days of our church, and I, I, I had the joy of explaining this again, telling the story to Joel uh, Ferraro, who is here and, 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 um, and investigating, interning here this summer. And I had a chance to go back and explain the history of our church. From the earliest days, we have been a church on a mission. We have had a people group. We have had a neighborhood. We've had a community. We have had a group of people that we are seeking to reach with the gospel of Christ. And because we are a missional church, sometimes we can find it hard to be a missionary church. Because a missional church seeks to hold on for the mission that's right in front of it. A missionary church lets go to release and to send as part of a broader work. Now, the problem with the missional church 
is that if we are not careful, we cannot see beyond the mission that God has given us to the missionary work that God is doing to the ends of the earth. You see, one of the ways that we can think about this or we can fall into this is thinking of ourselves almost like you would a sports league. Like we're on teams and our church has its team and your church has its team and this work over here has its team and when someone leaves our team, they're going from our team to someone else's team and that's a zero-sum game. We don't like that. It's their team or our team. And then someone comes from someone else's church and they leave that team and they join our team and we say, yes, we've got more missional help. But notice Antioch. Antioch was a missional church. And the moment the Holy Spirit called them to release, they said, go. Because ultimately, even above the fact that they were a missional church reaching Antioch, they were a missionary church that recognized God's work to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, rather than thinking about our church life as a zero-sum game, you go to that church and thus you've left us, or you come from that church and thus you've joined us, we need to think about our, our role in the kingdom of God as being like an army. You see, when a general looks at the field of operations and sees where the battle is hot and where resources are needed, it is the general who, looking at the entire picture, sometimes will say, I need that soldier from the front line there, and I'm going to place them on the front line here. And the army might say, this feels like a great loss on this front. But you know, the general knows what he's doing. And the general is the one who ultimately is fighting the war. And we trust that the war will be won with who the general is doing on behalf of the entire field of battle. And ultimately what that means for us is that we are not so much looking to build a mission at Straight Gate Church though we are seeking to carry out the mission that God has called us to in Minneapolis. Ultimately, what it means is we are training up people who the general will be enabled to put on the front lines, whether it's in this church or anywhere else, as he sees fit to fight the broader battle. And the question for us is whether we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading with fasting and prayer and with intentionality to be saying, God, we want ultimately not just to be a missional church, we want to be a missionary church. This has been something that's been a real help and a challenge to me. One of the verses that has just stuck with me is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach Others also. Commit to whom? Faithful men who shall be able to teach people where? In your local church only? No. To the uttermost parts of the earth. And as I think back to people that have been able to come even for short periods of time, we think of a Jeremy Ray or we think of a Levi Schooley or we think of others who have come in and have been encouraged and, and instructed or, or challenged by this church and have gone out. Friends, that is our work that is now taking place on a different front line. It is the work that God has called us to do. 
that is now being multiplied by the general of the army who said, separate them because I have called them to another front line. You know, I, I thought about it a little bit like this. We have in our household collected a, a large number of magnetiles. I don't know if any of you have ever played with magnetiles, these little magnetic pieces that, that fit together to make big buildings and these cool things. The problem with magnetiles is that there is not an unlimited number of them. And sometimes when my children and I have been playing, there's this great structure that I'm building over here, but I'm one piece short. And so I look over and one of my children is building something and there's an extra piece that they have that would fit perfectly. And so I have to reach over there. Kate, do you mind if I get that piece and use it for this structure over here? Or Lars will say, hey, can I grab that one and can I use that over here? And instead of us being, no, 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 you don't understand, Dad. I, I've got this over here. Instead, when we're able to say, no, no, that's fine. That piece will be great over there. We ultimately are submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to encourage us to as a church is to expand our field of vision and to expand our trust in the Lord. That as much as we desire to see the mission that we have at Straightgate here in the inner city of Minneapolis expand and receive more laborers and see people built up and discipled, that ultimately we would be in focused on being a missionary church. That we would be focused not on building something here, but be focused on God's work across the world being built and trusting him to give the resources to do the work that he wants to see here. And ultimately, we have that practical opportunity in front of us. It was not lost on me as I was preparing for this message that this is relevant to the life of our church right now. As you probably nearly all know, the Lewis family has, is being called out from us to go to another front line. It is not surprising to you that as I was thinking about God, the Spirit of God, saying uh, to Paul and to the church at Antioch, separate me, you're too best. That I was thinking, God, really, Kevin and Shay, really? Really, do you have, you have to take them? It won't surprise you. We've been talking with Kevin for many months about being an elder here. This is the has, process was interrupted only by Kevin really feeling the direction of God to move back and minister to his family and in his old home in a real way. And as we have processed that, I really just identified with what was going on here in Acts chapter 13. That Saul was brought into a church very unexpectedly. Barnabas going and finding him and bringing him in. And then this church just very humbly and very sensitively just releasing them to the work that God has called for them. I remember years ago, Shay, I don't even know how many years ago it was now, six years, maybe seven, that I first messaged Kevin. I said, you know, we're looking for a director for our community ministries. Do you know anyone who might be interested? And Kevin said, no, I don't know anyone, but, but we might be. And one of the things that I have taken from this ultimately is that as God brought them very unexpectedly into our church life, and used them so wonderfully and in such a blessed way 
that we now have the opportunity to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to say, they're released. They're released to the ministry that God has for them. And ultimately knowing that our missional church can be a missionary church. And hearing from Kevin and Che, even when we have talked about this, how they have been prepared and how their vision has been expanded from their time here at Straightgate, I know that they'll be taking what they have learned here and be putting it on to greater ministry in what God has called them to do. You know, there is something of a happy end to this story in Antioch. Turn over for just a minute to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. We see Paul and Barnabas finishing their first missionary venture. And it says in verse 26, And they then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They came back to the home church at Antioch. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. One of the greatest things about being a missionary church is that sometimes the missionaries come back either temporary or temporarily or permanently and you get to share in the joy of what God is doing. Now, Shay, that means we're going to expect regular visits back here to see what God is doing there and we'll expect you to abide long time with the disciples here. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, this is not only relevant to us, but it's relevant to what we're seeking to do in this community to train and instruct both in our own families and in our ministry here. Men and women to be raised up with a missionary focus, not to hold on to them with tight hands, but to be ready to be a missionary church to send out for the broader battle that God has going on in this world and trust that when we are a missionary church, we will not only reap in the rewards of joy from those hearing what God has been doing in their life, but also trusting that God will continue to raise up the people that, need, that, that are needed here to fulfill his mission. May we, as we look at Antioch, a missionary church, may we have the same heart and desire here at Straight Gate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Antioch and we thank you for this gifted and godly collection of people that even as they had a great mission to do at Antioch, they were willing to be part of a greater missionary work to the uttermost part of the earth. And oh, I pray, Father, for here at Straightgate, not only for this time that we are facing with the Lewis's, but also in all the future years that are ahead, may we not cling too tightly to the people that you have given us. May we not cling too tightly even to the mission that you have given us, but recognize that you have a mission to the uttermost parts of the earth and that you as the general, as the Lord of the harvest, will send forth laborers into each harvest as it is needed. Lord, would you prepare our hearts and engage us for this wonderful work, we pray. 